The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. Chapter 10 The Further Adventures of Toad. The front door of the hollow tree faced eastward, so Toad was called at an early hour, partly by the bright sunlight steaming in on, a, on him, partly by the exceeding coldness of his toes, which made him dream that he was at home in bed, in his own handsome room, through the window, a cold winter's night, in his, and his bedclothes had got up, grumbling. Processing he couldn't stand the cold any longer, and had run downstairs to the kitchen fire to warm themselves. He had followed on fire feet along miles and miles of icy stone paved passages arguing beseeching them be reasonable. He could probably have been aroused much earlier if he'd not sleep for some weeks of straw over some over stone flags, and most forgotten the friendly feeling of thick blankets pulled well up around the chin. Sitting up, he rubbed his eyes first, his complaining toes next, one for a moment where he was, looking round for a familiar stone wall, a little barred window, then with a leap of heart, remembered everything, escaped his flight, his pursuit, remembered first the best thing of all, that he was free, free, the word he thought alone was worth fifty blankets, his wall from end to end, as he thought the jolly world outside, Waiting eagerly for him to make his triumphal entrance, ready to serve him, playing up to him, anxious to help him, to keep him company, as it always had been in days of old before misfortune fell upon him. He shook himself and combed the dry leaves out of his hair with his fingers. He toilet complete marched forth into the comfortable morning sun, cold but confident, hungry but hopeful, all nervous, terrors of yesterday dispelled. A rest and the sleep, a frank and heartening sunshine. He had the world all to himself, an early summer morning, the dreary woodland, as he threaded it with solidarity. And still, a green field succeeded, and trees were his own to do. He liked with the road itself, when he reached it, in that loneliness that was everywhere, seemed like a stray dog to be looking anxiously for the company. Toad over, was looking for something that could talk and tell him clearly which way he ought to go is all very well when you have a light heart and a clear conscience of money in your pocket and nobody's scouring the country for you to drag you off to prison again follow you follow where the road beckons and points nor caring whether practical toad cared very much indeed he could have kicked the road for its helpless assignments even when every minute of importance was of importance to him. The reserved rustic road was presently joined, the shy little brother, shaped of a canal, which shook its hand and went along by its side in perfect confidence, but with the same tongue-tied and commutative agitable strangers. Bother them, said Toad to himself. Whatever has 
anything but anyhow one thing's clear they must both be coming from somewhere and going to somewhere you can't get over that toad boy boy so he marched on patiently by the water's edge round the bend in the canal came plodding a solitary horse stopping forward stooping forward as if an anxious if an anxious fault and rope traces attached to his collar stretched a long line taut but dripping from his side a purple part dripping pearly drops Toad let the horse pass and stood waiting what the fates were sending him a pleasant swell of quite water a blunt bow a barge slid up alongside of him the galley painted with well well what level the towing path with the towing path his sole occupant a big stout woman wearing a linen sunbonnet one brawny arm laid along long tiller a nice morning madam she remarked a nice ma- morning madam she remarked to her she remarked a nice morning madam she remarked to toad she drew out level with him i dare say it is madam responded toad politely he walked along the towpath abreast of her I dare say it's a nice morning to them, and it's not in sure trouble, like what I am. Here's my married daughter. He sends me off to my pussies to come at once, so I often comes. Well, knowing what may be happening, or going to happen, but fearing the most was, as you will understand, madam, if your mother too, I left my business to look after her itself. I am washing and laundering line. You must know, madam, I left my young children. The look of us of a more judicious and troublesome set of young kids. Do this, madam. I lost all my money, lost my way. As to that, what may be happening to my married daughter? Why, well, I don't think, like to think of it, madam. Where might you married daughter be living, madam? Asked the barge woman. She lives near, she lives near with her, madam, replied Toad. Close to the fine house called Toad Hall. That's, some, that's somewheres. Hereabouts in these parts, perhaps you may have heard of it. Total, why, I'm going that way myself, replied the bodyman. This canal joins the river, some moles further on, a little above Toad Hall. It's an easy walk. You come along in the barge with me, I'll give you a lift. He steered the barge close to the bank, and Toad, many humble, grateful acknowledgments, stepped lightly on board and sat down with great satisfaction. Toad's luck again, said Fourteen. I always come out on top. So your washing business, madam, said a large woman politely as they guided along. And a very good business you've got too, I dare say, by not making too free in saying so. Finest business in the whole country, said the old toad airily. All the gentry come to me wouldn't go do to go anywhere else. If they were to, if they were paid, they know me so well, you see, and so my work for me to attend to it. All myself washing, ironing, clear starching. Making up genuine fine shirts for even wear. Every done on my own eye. But surely you don't do all that work yourself, madam? Asked the barge girl reflectively. Oh, I have girls, she said, said Toad lightly. Twenty girls on thereabouts. Always at work. But you know what girls are, madam. Nasty little hussies, that's what I call them. So do I too, said the barge woman with great heartlessness. But I dare say that you're, you set yours to rights, the idle trollops. And you are very fond of watching. I love it, said Toad. I simply dote on it. Never so happy as when I got both arms in both trap. But then it comes easy to me. Oh, trouble all. A real pleasure, I assure you, madam. 
Well, I'd be allowed to meet you, said the bridegroom. Thoughtfully, you reckon a piece of good fortune for both of us. Why would you mean? said Toad nervously. Well, look at me now, replied the bridegroom. I like washing too, just the same as you do. Matter for that, for that matter, whether I like it or not, I've got, I've got to do all my own naturally, when matters I do. Now, hasn't it been a, such a fellow for shaggy work, being a bar to me? Never a moment do I get for seeing my, my own affairs. Why, wait, he ought to be here now. He was steering attended horse. Oh, luckily, the horse has sense enough to attend to himself. Instead of which, he's gone off with a dog to see if he can't pick up a rabbit for dinner. Somebody says he catches me and next lot. Well, that's as may be. I don't trust him. Once he gets off of that dog, who's worse than he is? I mean, well, why am I to get on with my washing? Oh, never mind about the washing, said Toad, not liking the subject. Try and fix your mind on the rabbit. A rabbit, a nice, fat young rabbit. I'll be bound. Got any onions? I can't fix my, fix my mind on anything but my watching, said Bodman. I wonder you'd be talking to, can be, I wonder you could be talking to rabbits with such a joyful prospect before you. The heap of things of mine are fine in the corner of the cabin. If you could take one or two of the most necessary sort, I wouldn't venture to scribe them to the lady like you. We recognize them at glance. Put them through the wash tub as we go along. Why, it'll be a pleasure to you. Will you rightly say, Real help to me. I find a tub handy and soap and kettle on the stove. I bucket all up water from the canal with. I shall know you're enjoying yourself instead of sitting in your oil or you're sitting yawning your head off. Here, you let me steer, said Toad, now frightenedly, thoroughly frightened. And you can get on with your fish in your own way. I might spoil your things or not do them like you. Like you. As you like, and more my use of gentleman things myself, my special line. Let you steer, replied the bodyman, laughing. It may take some scratches to steer a body properly. Perhaps it's dull work, besides dull work. I want to be happy. You'll be happy. No, I shall be doing the washing. You should do the washing you are so fond of. And stick the, I will stick the steering, I understand. Don't try to bribe me the pressure. Give me a treat. Toad was fairly cornered. He'd look for escape this way and that, saw so he's too far the bank for flying leap, so gully resigned himself to his fate. But it comes to that, he faltered in desperation. I suppose any folk can wash. He fetched tub, soap, other necessaries from the cabin, selected a few garments at random, tried to recollect what he'd seen in incredible dances with ordinary windows and set to. A long half hour passed, every minute of it, so pole. Toad getting crosser and crosser. Nothing they could do. The thing seemed to please them or do them good. Tried coaxing them, tried slapping, tried punching. They smiled back at him. A tub unconverted, happy in the original sin. Once or twice he looked nervously over his shoulder at a barge one, but she appeared to be gazing out in front of her, absorbed in his steering, his back arched badly. Notice his made he paused, but singly. But they were beginning to get all crinkly. Now Toad was very proud of his poles. He muttered under his breath words that would never pass lips of either washerwoman or Toad's. That should never pass the lips of the evil washerwoman or Toad's. Lost his hope the fifteenth time. Bursted off the meter straight and straightened himself out round, looked back round. Bridal was leaning back, laughing and restraining, till the tears 
Benatrix, I've been watching you all the time because I thought you might be on Bagel along with the conceited way you told pretty what more you are. Never was so much of the dirt we clout in your life, I say. Total with which you've been simmering, fishy for some time. Now fairly bothered and lost all control itself. You come on, Lord, fat barge woman, he shouted. You don't dare talk to your betters like that. But woman indeed, I would have you to know, and I am toad. Well, there's no respect of doing sing with toad. I may be under a bit of a child at present. I am not to be laughed at by a barge woman. A woman moved nearer to him and peered under her bonnet, bonnet keenly and closely. Why, so you are, she cried. Why never already nasty to call toad? In my nice clean barge, too. Now, what that thing that I will not have? He quenched the tiller for a moment. One big mulled arm shot out and caught toad by the foreleg, while the other gripped him fast by the hind leg. Then the world turned slightly upstairs down. The barge seemed to flit lightly across the sky. The wind whistled in his ears. Toad found himself flying for the air, revolving rapidly as he went. Water when he eventually reached it with a loud splash, grew quite cold enough for his taste, though it chilled, it chilled not so if and quell his proud spirit, but sate the heat of his furious temper. He rose at the surface spluttering, and when he had wiped the duckweed out of his eyes, the first thing he saw was the fat bargeman looking back at him over stern and retreating barge and laughing. He vowed his coughed and choked to be even with her. He struck out from the shore, but the cotton ground greatly impeded his efforts, and when at length he touched land, he found it hard to climb up the steep bank unassisted. He had to take a minute or two's rest to uncover his breath. Then gathering his wet shirts well over his arms, he started to run after the barge as fast as his legs would carry him, wild with indignation, thirsting for revenge. Barbonum was still laughing when he drew up level with her. Put yourself through your mangled woman. Put yourself through your mangle, where's the woman? She called out. Then blind your face and quit getting past your quite a decent looking toad. Toad never paused to reply. So the revenge of what he wanted, not cheap, windy verbal triumphs. Thought though he had a thing or two in his mind he would have liked to say. He saw what he wanted ahead of him. Running swiftly on, he overtook the horse. A fast in the toad ripped and cast off. Jumped lightly on the horse's back and urged to gallop by kicking viciously in the sides. Steered for the open country, banging the towpath and swinging steed down a rutty lane. Once he looked back, saw the barge had run aground. On the other side of the canal, the barge woman distantly wildly and shouting, Stop, stop, we heard a song before. That song before, said Toad, laughing as he continued to spur steed onward into its wild career. Barge was not capable of any very sustained effort. It galloped soon subsided into a trot. It trot into an easy walk, but Toad was quite contented with this. He's knowing that he, at any rate, was moving. Barge was not. He quite removed his temper. Now he'd done something he thought really clever. So he had to jog along quietly in the sun, steering his horse along byways and by the paths, trying to forget how very long it was since he'd had a square meal. So the canal left him very far behind him. He travelled some miles, his horse, and he was feeling drowsy in the hot sunshine. The horse stopped, 
lowered his head and began to nibble the grass. Toad waking up just saved himself for the falling off by an effort. He looked about him, found he was a wide, wide coven, studded with patches of gorse and brambles, far as he could see. Near him stood a dingy gypsy caravan, and besides a man sitting on a bucket, turned upside down, very busy smoking, staring in a wild world, into a wide world. Five sticks of burning near by and over, fire hung an iron pot. Out of that pot came but full bubblings and gurglings. And a vague, suggestive steamness. Also smells warm, rich and varied smells. They twinned and twisted and wreathed themselves. Lasted the one complete virtuous, perfect smell that seemed like the very soul of nature taking form and appearing to a child, true goddess of mother, solace and comfort. So now knew well he had not and he had not really he had not been really hungry before. What he had felt earlier in the day been a mere trifling calm. Qualm. This was a real thing at last, no mistake would have to be dealt with speedily, too, or they had been troubled for somebody or something. He looked at the gypsy over carefully, wondering vaguely whether it would be easy to fight him and control him. So there he sat and sniffed and snuffed and looked at the gypsy, and the gypsy sat and smoked and looked at him. Crazy the gypsy took his pipe out, his mouth remarked in a careless way, What to sell that arse of yours? Toad completely taken aback. He did not know what gypsies were fond, very fond of horse stealing. He never missed an opportunity. He did not reflect that caravans always on the move. Took a great deal of drawing. It had no occurred to him to turn the horse into cash. The gypsy suggestion seemed to smooth the way towards the food things. Was so badly ready money and solid breakfast. What, he said, shall he sell this beautiful young horse of mine? Oh no, out of the question. Who's going to take this washing home? For my customers every week. Besides, I'm too fond of him. He sent me notes on him. Try and love a donkey, said the Dissy. Suggested it be some people do. You don't seem to see, continued Toad, that this fine horse of mine is a cut above the two that you do together. He's a brother, he's partly not the part you see, of course, another part. He'd been prized hackney too in the time, and that was the time before you knew him. You can still tell it in him on a glance. You understand anything about horses? No, it's not to be thought for, for a moment. All the same, how much might you be supposed to offer me? This brittle young horse of mine. Gypsy looked over the horse over. He looked over the toad over with equal care. And looked at the horse again, shedding a leg. He said briefly, turned away. Can you smoke and try to stare worldwide? Wide world out of contentments. A shedding a leg, toad, toad? You please, I must take a little time working it out. See, just come through. Time down his horse and left it to graze. Graze and sat down by the gypsy and did sums and singer. At last he said, a shilling a leg. Why, if could I come to exactly four shillings? No more, no. Could not think of accepting four shillings. Beautiful young horse of mine. Well, said gypsy, I'll tell you what I do. I make it five shillings and that's three and six. More the animal's worth, and that's my last word. The toad sat and pondered long and deeply, for his hungry and quite penniless, still some way he knew not how far from home and enemies might still be looking for him. To one in such a situation, five shillings may not well appear large sum of money, 
other hand, you don't seem very much to get for a horse. Then again, horse didn't, didn't cost him anything. So whatever we got was all clear profit. Last, he said firmly, look here, Gypsy. I'll tell you what we do. This is my last word. You shall hand me over six shillings or sixpence. Cash down and further. Addition here to you shall give me as much such breakfast as I can possibly eat in one sitting, of course. Out of the iron pot of yours, and keeps sending forth such delicious surging smells. I return to make, will make you over with my spirited young horse, with all the beautiful harness and trappings are on him, freely thrown in. And if you are not good enough for you to say no, get on, and our man near, who has waited at what is horse for mine for years. Gypsy grumbled frightfully, declared he'd be done. A few more deals of salt would be ruined. But he only lugged the dirty canvas bag out of Vets, trouser pocket, carried it six shillings and six of the total poor. Then he disappeared in the caravan. Instant, turned with large iron plate and knife, fork and spoon. He turned out the pot, a glorious steam, a hot, rich stew gurgled into the, onto the plate. Into the plate. It's indeed the most beautiful stew in the world. Be made of partridges and peasants, pheasants and chicken and hares, rabbits, peahens and guinea fowls, one or two other things. Toad took the plate without almost crying, stuffed and stuffed and stuffed, kept asking more and gypsy, never grudged him. He thought that he had never eaten a good breakfast all his life. Toad had taken as much stew and board as he thought he could possibly hold. He got up and said goodbye to gypsy, took an affectionate farewell to him. To the, of the horse, and the gypsy, who knew the way of side well, gave him directions which way to go and set forth, travelled again, the best possible spirits. He was indeed a very different toad to the animal of an hour ago. So much sunny brightly, back clothes were quite dry again, and money in his pocket once more, his nearing home and friends and safety. And most the best of all, in a substantial meal, hot and nourishing, Felt big and strong, careless and self-confident. As he trembled gay, along gaily, he thought of his adventures and escapes, and how, when things seemed they very at their worst, he always managed to find a way out. He cried, content, began to swell within him. Ho, ho, he said to himself, as he marched along with, with his chin in the air. What a clever toad I am. There's surely no one animal equal for the cleverness in the whole world. My enemies shut me in my prison, circled by sentries, watched night and day by warders. I walk out through them all, a sheer body covered with courage. Resolve, pursue me with Indians and policemen and revolvers. Slap my fingers at them, they vanish, laughingly in space. I thought he thrown into this canal by a woman. Fact of body, a very evil mind. What of it? I swam ashore, seized the horse, I would offer the triumph. So I sell the horse for a whole pocket full of money. An excellent breakfast. Ho, ho, I'm Toad. Handsome the hotman. The successful Toad got so puffed up with content, made a song as he walked in praise of himself, sang in a toppy voice. There was no one to hear it but him. Perhaps the most conceited song any animal ever composed. The world was a great, has held great heroes as her history books have shown, but never a name to go down to fame compared to that of Toad. The clever men of Oxford Know all there is to be known, they know and they know half as much as intelligent Mr. Toad. Emma set in the ark and cried, their tears and torrents flowed. Who was it, who was it said, as they in the head encouraging Mr. Toad? The army all saluted, they marched along the road. Was it the king or Kishina, Kishinta, 
married, Mr. Toad, the Queen and her ladies waiting. Suddenly the window was stood. She cried, Look, who's that handsome man? He answered, Mr. Toad. A great deal more than some sort, and but too dreadfully contented. We read an hour. There was some of the mold the some of the mold devices. Sang as he walked and he walked and sang. And got more inflated every minute. His pride was shortly to have a severe fall. After some miles of country lanes, he reached the high road. He turned into it, glanced again. It held at length. He saw approaching a speck and turned to a dot, and then, then into a blob. Then into something very familiar, a double note warning, only too well, well known. Fairly to the lighted ear. There's some, this is something I like, said to Saito. This is real life again. This is once more the great world which I've been missed so long. They will hail my brothers the wheel, the wheel and pitch them a yarn. A sort that been so successful for Toad. They'll give me the lift, of course, and I'll talk to them every some moment more. Perhaps with luck, even ending my driving up to Toad Hall in a motor car. There'll be one in the eye for Miss for Badger. Stepped confidently out to the road to hail the motor car, which came along an easy pace, slowing down as it neared the lane. It suddenly became very pale. His heart turned to water. His knees shook and yielded under him. He doubled and collapsed with shrieking pain. Tyrion. Well, his might, the unhappy animal, was approaching Carl. The very one he stolen at the yard at died lying. A faded day, where all his troubles began. People in, in it were well, very same people who had sat and watched at luncheon in the coffee room. He sank down. A shabby and miserable heap, rode murmuring to himself in despair. despair. It's all up. It's all over now. Chains and policemen again. Prison again. Dry bread and water again. Oh, what a fool I've been. What did I do to do? do, do? Why did I want to go strutting about the country? While singing contented, conceited songs and heavy people all like your high roads. Instead of hiding all till mid the nightfall, sleeping my home quietly by back ways. Oh, hapless toad, oh, oh, feeding animal. A terrible motor car drew slowly near, nearer and nearer, till at last he heard it stop. Just sort of him. Two men gentlemen got out. Well, we're in a chamber heap of crumbled misery. Lying the road, and one of them said, Oh dear, this is very sad. It is a poor old thing. A washerwoman, apparently, who fainted in the road. But she's overcome by the heat. Poor creature. Pussy has not had any food today. Let us lift her into the car. Take her to the nearest village. But doubtless he is friends. He suddenly lifted Toad in a motor car, propped him up, soft cushions, and proceeded on their way. The Toad heard him talking, so kind of fit away, and knew he's not recognised his courage, going to revive. Cautiously opened the first one eye, and the other look, said the one gentleman, she is all better already. Fresh air is doing her good. How do you feel, madam, now, madam? Thank you kindly, sir, said Toad with a feeble voice. I feel a great deal better. That's right, said the gentleman. Now, keep quite still, above all. Don't try to talk. I won't, said Toad. I'm only thinking I might sit on the front seat there beside the driver where I could get the fresh air it full in my face. I should soon be all right again. Well, a very sensible woman, said the gentleman. Of course you shall. So they carefully helped Toad up the front, to the front seat beside the driver and on they went again. Toad was almost beside himself by now. He sat up. Thought about him and tried to beat down the tremors and yearned old cravings that rose up, beset him and took possession of him entirely. He faded himself. Why strive or struggle? 
He turned to the driver and he sighed. Please, sir, he said. I wish you could kindly let me try and drive a car for a little. I've been watching you carefully. It looks so easy and so interesting. I should like to be able to tell my friends at once. At once I'd driven a motor car. The driver laughed at the proposal. Certainly the gentleman cried. What the matter was, when he heard, he said to Toad Delight, Bravo, madam, I like your spirit. Let's have a try and look after her. She won't do any harm. Toad eagerly scrambled to the vacant by the driver, took the steering wheel in the hands, listened with affected humanity, distracted given him, set the car in motion very slowly and carefully at first, for he was determined to be prudent. The gentlemen beheld clap their hands and applauded. Toad heard him saying, How does she do it? Fancy watching one driving a car as well as that. First time, Toad went a little faster, and faster still, and faster. The gentleman called out warmly. Be careful, Waterman. This annoyed him. He began to lose his head. The driver turned to interfere. He pinned him down his seat with one elbow and put on full speed. In a rush of air in his face, how many engines are like jump of the car beneath him? He tops his weak brain. Waterman, indeed, said Rexley. Ho ho, I am towed above the car snatcher. The turn is a breaker. The toad always escapes. Sit still. You shall know the driving really is. You are in the hands of the famous and skilful entirely fearless toad. Cry of horror, the whole party rose, flung themselves on him. Seize him, they cried. Seize the toad, the wicked animal stole our motor car. Bind him, chain him, drag him to the nearest police station. Down with a desperate, dangerous toad. And as they should have thought, they ought to have been more prudent. They should have remembered to stop the motor car somehow by playing these pranks of that sort. The half turned the wheel. The toad sent the car crashing along a ledge that ran along the roadside. While my van of bonnet shot, wheels of the car were churning up, thick mud of a horse pond. Toad found himself flying for the air, strong upward rush into delicate, delicate curve of swallow. He loved the motion, like the motion, was just beginning to wonder if he would go on until he developed wings to a toad bird. It landed in his back with a thump and soft grass on a, of a meadow. Sitting up, could just see the motor car and the pond nearly submerged. Gentlemen and driver encumbered, her long coats were floundering helplessly in the water. He himself picked himself up quite rapidly, so it was running cross country as hard as he could, scrambling through hedges, jumping ditches, pounding across fields, till he's breathless and weary. And had to settle down into an easy walk. When he was covered with breath somewhat, he was able to think calmly, begin to giggle. And from giggling, he took to laughing. He laughed till he had to sit down under a hedge. Ho, ho, he cried in ecstasies of self-admiration. Admiration. Toad again, toad as usual. Comes up to the top. Who was it got to the, to the lift? Who managed to get on the front seat for the sake of fresh air? Who said them to letting him see if I could, he could drive? Who landed them all in the horse pond? Who escaped fairly gallantly and scathed for the air? Living, leaving this narrow-minded, grudging, timid, excursionists in the mud, where they should brightly be. By Toad, of course, clever Toad. Great, good Toad. And he burst in song again, chanted with a half voice, the motor car went boop, 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 as he raced along the road. Who was it steered into the pond? Ingenious Mr. Toad. Oh, how clever I am, how clever, how clever, how very clever, a slight noise and distance. How it made him turn his head. Look, oh, horror of misery, despair. At two fields off, a chauffeur in his leather crates, and two large rural policemen were visible, 
banging towards him as hard as they could go. Porto sprang his feet and pelted away. Again, his heart in his mouth. Oh, my. He grasped as he panted along. What an ass I am. What a conceited, heedless ass. Dragging again, shouting, singing songs again. Singing and grasping, grasping, grasping again. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Dance back and saw dismay of gaining him. On he ran desperately, but kept looking back. He saw they gain, still gained steadily. He did his best, but they, it was a he was a fat animal. His legs were short. They still they gained. He'd hear them close behind him now. Ceasing to heave where he was looking, where he was going, he struggled on blindly, wildly, looking back over his shoulder and now triumphant Wimmerdy. Emily, then he suddenly the earth fell under his feet. He grasped at the air, splashed, he found himself head over ears in deep water, rapid water. Water bore him along. The force he could not contend with, contend with. He knew that he was a very panic, ran straight into the river, rose to the surface, tried to grasp the reeds and rushes that grew along the river water's edge, close on the bank. But a very scream was too so strong it tore them out of his fingers, out of his hands. Oh my, gasped Paul Toad. If everybody still the mud again, every sing again could suit songs, and well he went, and came up breathless and spluttering. Presently he saw when he approached a big bark hole in the bank. Just above his head as the stream bore him past, he reached up with a pole, caught hold of the edge and held on. And slowly, with difficulty, drew himself up out of the water. But at last he was able to rest his elbows on the edge of the hole. There he remained for some minutes, puffing and panting, for he was quite exhausted. But he sighed and blew and stared before him. To dark holes, some bright small things shone and twinkled in its depths, moving towards him. As it approached, the face grew up gradually round it. It was a familiar face, brown and small, with whiskers, grave around, with neat ears and silky hair. It was the water rat.